Hi, everybody. Before we begin, I wanted to tell you about a great conference opportunity that's coming up that I'm really excited about. It's called Awake and Aware, and the focus is on giving you the skills to thrive and flourish in our incredibly demanding job and life. It's probably different from most conferences you've been to. It's really engaging, interactive, and designed to stretch the boundaries of how you think and respond. This is a three-day in-person workshop taught by Rob Orman, Scott Weingard, and a crew of performance coaches in beautiful Bend, Oregon, May 1st through 3rd, 2024. Sign up at awakenawarebend.com. Use the discount code GEL, G-E-L, for $100 off. Hope to see you there. Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello, friends. This is a very special podcast. What you are about to hear was recorded at the Society of Clinical Ultrasound Fellowships, a.k.a. SCUF, the annual conference in 2023. I'm calling it People, Progress, POCUS. Each of these are so important. This is a series of mini interviews with about 30 incredible people. The people in this field are truly inspiring to me, and I was delighted to sit down and hear their stories. We talk about progress. What is the next frontier for this technology that draws us all together? People, progress, POCUS. Before we get started, I just have to give a sound quality warning for this show. We were recording live in an open space, and it definitely sounds like it. We did our best to clean it up, but it's still kind of rough. We thought that the discussion with the many talented and interesting people we interviewed was still content worth sharing, so you can choose to either stick it out or skip this one. And now, on with the show. This is a special event. We're recording live from SCUF 2023, and I'm here with my buddy Zach Rissler. Cray Bolger's also here, and a couple other members of our team. We got a really funny setup here. We're in a coat check area. Without further ado, we have a number of so many really cool people here. I'm excited to talk to them today. We're going to do a series of mini interviews, and to kick it off, we have the one and only Ben Smith. It's great to be here. This is a interesting setup you've got. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting that Scuff's really like, like something in the air here. It's like there's energy at Scuff, all these young fellows coming through and just seeing everybody like really engaged in education. It's a great place to be. I think that what is in the air is seawater and lobster rolls. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're coming to you from Portland, Maine, in case you weren't aware. So we made the trip up here. And Ben, you know, we wanted to ask everybody a few questions. But first of all, can you just kind of introduce yourself? Where are you working? What are you doing? Tell us a little bit about your story. I'm Ben Smith. I'm from East Tennessee. That's where I grew up and did uh, various faculty. I trained at, in Birmingham at UAB. And then came back as a faculty in, uh, I guess, 20, 2008. And I've been the Ultrasound Director there since 2009 and run an Ultrasound Fellowship there. And a couple of years ago, one of my residents, Jalen Avila, had a really good idea to start this website called 5 Minute Sano. And we kind of rolled that into a big website called Coral Ultrasound. And that's, that's what, we, what we run now. So I run an Ultrasound Fellowship in Chattanooga and, and then run the the website out of a server in my basement at my house. <laughs> Not creepy at all, Ben. <laughs> yeah, so check out coreultrasound.com if you haven't been there. Tons of awesome resources for education and a lot of other tools. Yeah, so Ben, really what we want to know is what are you excited about right now in ultrasound? Is there any topic that you are just you're loving right now? So my fellow, Eli Wyatt, my fellow this year, really wants to learn transesophageal echo. And it's been a long time coming for us. About four years ago, we, we picked up a trainer, and like a simulator. And then we had an ultrasound purchasing cycle that went through this past year. So we got our first probe. So I'm really excited. Our, our, our cardiology fellowships actually engaging us and bringing us in to do TEEs in the lab. And so I'm really excited to get a TE program going. I'm like super stoked about it. It's been, after seeing like Rob Arnfeld talk about this about 10 years ago, it's been on my radar and I've been like super excited about it. And it's finally happening. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. That's super exciting. I know that's a battle a lot of people are fighting because we've seen how transesophageal echo can help us, especially in cardiac arrest patients. So congrats. That's really cool. I think that is a developing area in emergency medicine and point of care ultrasound, critical care ultrasound. Sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm stoked about it. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast. Yeah, we always want to have you, Ben. You're, you're a friend of the show for sure. So Sarah, let's have you up here. 
Sure, sure. So I'm Sarah Gartner. I went to Ohio State for medical school that got me really into ultrasound and got to work with Pratt's, which was awesome. And now I did residency at the University of Washington, stayed on as their inaugural fellow this year. So doing a lot of work in rural and austere ultrasound. And so handheld ultrasound is kind of my jam. And so I've really liked working with Alaska and we're doing a lot of stuff in rural Alaska. And then I was a flight doc in residency and kind of continuing doing a lot of ultrasound education for our flight docs out there. So really fun. It's been a great time. So, I mean, that kind of touches on our next question that we've been asking people. What is it that you're most excited about in ultrasound right now or in the future? Yeah, I love the research and design of handheld ultrasound. I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the technology. And I'm curious how AI is going to work, too, especially in kind of that that area. So that's what I'm excited about. That makes total sense. I mean, AI and handhelds, they're kind of developing together at a really exponential rate right now. So it is going to be cool to see the different devices available, how they incorporate AI, how that's used clinically, how it's used educationally, a lot of potential. Yeah, we're using a lot too in teleguidance. So next week, we're going to try our first using teleguidance to kind of educate some of our Alaska flight docs or in flight nurses. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> there's some there's some, uh, some issues, but hopefully we can sort them all out. Wow, that is so cool. It's fun. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. Arthur, you going to step up? Sure. So my name is Arthur Broadstock. I also graduated from The Ohio State College of Medicine. I worked with Dr. Pratt, Dr. Boehner, Dr. Bolger, and really that was where my love for ultrasound was, was first born. I then went to residency at the University of Cincinnati, graduated from there, and then stayed on as the current ultrasound fellow at the University of Cincinnati. Awesome. And what are you excited about right now in ultrasound? Is there some topic that you really geek out on? So I would say my main focuses right now are in regional anesthesia, and we're also starting a resuscitative TEE program at Cincinnati, so that is just getting off the ground. I'm really excited to see what happens from that. Wow, great, great stuff. Yeah, those are hot topics. I mean, nerve blocks, TEE, it's a really exciting time to be learning ultrasound, and I think that as ultrasound fellowship trained physicians, you can really become a leader in that field because we're just so comfortable with transthoracic echo, transitioning to transesophageal, got ultrasound guided procedures being, you know, something that we do all the time. So that's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And just seeing how both of these processes are rolling out within our hospital system has been really, really cool sort of navigating all those, you know, different challenges with, with implementing these systems has been really awesome. So definitely a lot of learning and and a lot of things to offer our patients down the line. Definitely. And I'm sure you're learning a lot from uh, a lot in this administrative capacity from friend of the show, Lori Stoltz. We can give her a shout out. Shout out so she's great. Stoltz. She's the best. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Arthur. Hey, yeah. Dr. Matt Fields here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Scuff is the best place to be. Yeah, I'm emergency physician at Jefferson in Philadelphia, and I am the ultrasound director there. And I'd like to think I have the best job in the world. <laughs> so Matt was my fellowship director, director. Great guy. Taught me everything I know. Matt, what are you interested in right now? Is there an area that you are really into in ultrasound? Ooh, wow. What have I been into lately? I, I love it all. I guess right now I'd say I've been really digging the use of ultrasound. Actually, here, oh, perfect. I, the, I've been loving just bowel ultrasound lately, which sounds kind of boring, but I've been pushing it. And we just had a cool case the other day of using ultrasound to guide hernia reductions, where we had this hernia that was like going in this weird direction. They couldn't reduce it. You know, they, they were pushing and it was, they, we used ultrasound to see the direction to push the hernia. And it was really cool. And I was like, oh man, and surgery was like super impressed. Yeah, it was a good case. Yeah. I, I love that because I think, you know, we've heard about nerve blocks, we've heard about TEE, and sometimes we forget that ultrasound can really just be for the basic stuff and doing it really well. So it's awesome. Yeah, and surgery even wanted after, when they wanted to repeat a CAT scan to see if the hernia was completely reduced because the patient's body habitus was that difficult. And I was like, come on, guys, no, ultrasound. And they're like, oh, wow, yeah, okay, this is cool. So well, yeah. that, I really like that, like, that's a way that we can kind of evangelize to other specialties and show them in front of their own eyes with the patient how you can make differences with this modality. And I feel like those types of anecdotes really show the spread of ultrasound and how it can continue to grow and how we can start to trust point-of-care ultrasound across different specialties. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that, Matt. 
And shout out to Matt because he's been an expert reviewer for Ultrasound Gel since 2015 when we started. So thanks, Matt. All right, Jim. Good to see you again, buddy. Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? What's up, friends? Hey, my name is Jim O'Brien. I, like some of the other guests here today, uh, started out my medical career at The Ohio State University College of Medicine, where I got to learn from these incredible people at the Ultrasound Gel Podcast and really lighted this fire within me for Ultrasound specifically, but really kind of the larger community that Ultrasound has given me and uh, all these many people that we're seeing here at Scuff. Awesome. So what have you been up to since you left us at Ohio State? Yeah, so I had the great opportunity to go to to Northwestern for residency, and now I'm actually completing my ultrasound fellowship at Rush. Can you tell us, is there anything that you're really interested in right now in ultrasound? Is there something that you guys are doing at Rush that is really pushing the boundaries? Yeah, no, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned through this fellowship is better appreciation for ultrasound-guided procedures and away from just the standard typical ones like the you know central eye lines or other, you know, shoulder reduction techniques. But my co-fellow, Evie Schraff, actually gave a great lightning talk here about endotracheal tube confirmation and placement, which is a really fascinating topic that we can, you know, eliminate that x-ray right off the bat and confirm just at the bedside with the ultrasound that you're in the right spot uh, with your ET tube. Yeah, I love that. And you're fortunate to be at a good shop for ET airway ultrasound as mike gottlieb i think has published the preponderance of evidence on that topic including meta-analyses of it so i'm sure you're learning from the best all right well thanks a lot jim good to see you well nick why don't you introduce yourself although everybody here knows you as the keynote of this year's scuff so congrats on that thank you thank you i'm nick thaney i'm the division chief of ultrasound at university of michigan and nothing more embarrassing than than being highlighted for the keynote it's been a real pleasure. I still feel unqualified for it, but I'm really glad to have done it. An and, honor to speak at Scott. And little known fact that Nick reminded me of earlier today, we actually very briefly lived in the same house for a wonderful summer in Columbus, Ohio. Just the two of us kind of crossing paths in a empty old Victorian house. Very fun. So Nick, tell us, what are you interested in right now in ultrasound? Is there one topic that you are just loving? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that my keynote was about is the thing that I've been passionate about lately, which is that beyond any given scan that we do, the training that we do is excellent training for leadership. And so one of the things that's been great for uh, our group is all of our new faculty who come in have been really quickly spinning off into other leadership positions. You know, obviously, Rob is our residency director. I have a role in the hospital as the associate chief of staff, but other of our faculty have gone on to be the lead for gender equity or the service chief at our VA. And I think I've been really excited about how the work that we do in ultrasound prepares us to take over the world. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, you see that with a lot of leaders in ultrasound moving into chair positions, assistant chairs, roles in the hospital and residency leadership. So I, I loved your talk. I'm not just saying that because you're sitting in front of me, but uh, yeah, really good stuff. Thanks so much, Nick. I think there is really a lot to not just being flexible as emergency physicians where we are always used to doing making do with less than the ideal situation. I think that builds a certain type of person or maybe personality, but then an ultrasound on top of that seems to attract a certain phenotype of those physicians. And I think we're just, you know, well-equipped to be leaders and work with other departments in the hospital. And it's, it's a fun job for a lot of us. So thanks for all you brought to the table, Nick. Rob, can you get over here? Come on. Hello, hello. It's funny you forgot about living with Nick because we make a joke all the time. At least like once a month, we are talking to someone. Nick's like, oh, I lived with them once. So, Rob, introduce yourself. What are you up to? I'm Rob Wong. I I promise I'm an ultrasound person. I just also happen to be the residency program director at University of Michigan. But Rob, I believe you have a leadership position of some sort as well. Oh, yeah. I'm the scuff president. Well, technically for two more days, and then it's Lindsay Taylor. Time to celebrate those two days. Got to ride it out. Ride out your, your presidency. Oh, yeah. I'm like really excited to be here in Maine. I've been telling everyone I have never been to Maine. I've never had a lobster roll. This is, this is a time of first. And it's just like a really great place to have a conference. Yeah. And Rob, you have another place in my personal history because you probably don't even remember this. But back when I was a resident, I didn't have too many mentors in ultrasound. So I cold emailed you. And I was like, Rob, you seem like a nice guy. I think you had written a post 
on some blog or other about ultrasound fellowships. And I was like, can you please like give me some idea of how I can apply for ultrasound fellowships? And you wrote me back like the nicest email, giving me all this advice, even though you didn't know me at all. So I appreciate that. And you didn't even apply to our ultrasound fellowship, you jerk. <laughs> Uh, I don't I don't remember if that's true or not. You know, it's interesting. I didn't know that. And I really appreciate it, too, because Mike and I did residency together. He was a, a year older than me. And so I leaned on Mike for guidance. So really, I leaned on you for guidance. So thank you. Well, I am very flattered. I do remember that. You know, I think until this moment, I like remember... Oh, someone from OSU, like, like emailed me. I'm like, Oh, great. Like, this is someone I can talk to, but I don't think I put together that it was you until this moment. It was a long yeah. time ago. Well, live and on, on podcast, this is happening right. to me. Yeah. I'm just like rush of positive endorphins. <laughs> <laughs> so Rob, what are you excited about right now in ultrasound? I'm really excited thinking about how we have just gone through this big change with now having the AEMUS FPD and being able to sort of have a board certification and that pushing forward and also it expanding into other disciplines. There's a lot of discussion with family medicine right now. I think it is really interesting to be on sort of the precipice of where EM was, you know, 10, 20 years ago with all these other specialties that are now growing into this and all the opportunities that are going to come with that. Yeah, that is great. There's been so much that's developing over the last couple years in terms of the focus practice de designation and then different specialties being involved. And it's a tremendous amount of work that a lot of people are doing behind the scenes. So thanks to everybody that's been working on that because it is, I think, pushing this subspecialty forward in a lot of ways. No, it's awesome. I'm really excited. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Good to see you. Well, we have another wonderful guest that just stepped up. Peter, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us your position. What have you been up to? Your life story? I'm Peter Weimersheimer. I'm now the VP of Clinical Implementation and Education at Butterfly Network. My life story, I'm a, I've been an emergency physician since 1996 in emergency medicine, doing ultrasound and all sorts of stuff up in Vermont. That's great. Have you always, were you from Vermont or have you always, you've lived there as long as I've known you? Yeah, well, I guess the sad truth is I was actually was a construction worker and a carpenter in Vermont for about a decade by circumstance got into med school and decided that after I did my training I'd come back and try and be back in that community. It's an amazing community, a lot of rural health care and just a good world to try and practice in. That's incredible. So Peter, what I want to know, so I know that you were able to get all of your residents ultrasounds. So every single one of them ha has an ultrasound. Is that right? That's true. That was part of our attraction. We just started our residency program. I think we're four years old now. So so part of the mission, at least for myself, in terms of ultrasound was I wanted to make sure that ultrasound wasn't a novelty. And the whole idea of residency where you'd be doing ultrasound in the emergency department with cart-based systems, but then off to different externships and rotations elsewhere, there was two issues. One was having access to a machine to scan. And the second was how do you review those images, have those images count and be accessible for education and asynchronous learning. So one of the solutions, well, the first solution was to get everyone a butterfly on matriculation. It was actually, it was really fun. Look, and they walked through the door. I, I had actually bought these pistol cases, these Canadian pistol case company. And I sat there cutting foam the night before oh to fit in, the, fit in the ultrasound and the bottle of gel and a little plug. But it, just being able to give each of them that, that case when they showed up and, and, have, and say, this is part of your education from day one is that when you leave here, this should be just part of how you practice clinical medicine. Was the look on their face like one of your proudest moments? I think it would have been for me. They, they were great. I mean, they were. I guess imagine the look of the a group of residents who are the first residents in a residency. They were just an awesome, excited bunch. But yeah, it was. A, it was. A, that's one of the attractions. Actually, had been to the program when we interviewed. That was part of what was going to happen, and, and uh, so it was fulfillment to that that promise. So it was cool. It was really cool. Is there is there any area of ultrasound right now that you have been really interested in and in kind of pushing the boundaries? The area that I became most interested in was regional anesthesia and pushing the boundaries in the sense that in a rural healthcare system, for instance, when there's a lot of transfers, right, what happens with people who are, have traumatic injury is they get transferred in pain. And so the idea about trying to do more of a regional, uh, no pun intended, a regional, regional anesthesia <laughs> program where people in the outlying critical access centers would actually do some regional anesthesia for patient care. And so when patients were being transferred and, and, and going into the, into the main system, they already had just some more humane care, right? It's hard, like, 
so you know, the being an excellence, a center of excellence of pain and trauma. One of the things that was really satisfying was to just have people have a little bit more, a little more a better quality of life for a real, it can be even end of life situations where they're they're not, they're not writhing around in pain and at least can emotionally process some of the other stuff that's going on. So that was a really that felt like it'd be a big win to start doing that. Yeah, I th- I feel that treating pain is one of the gifts that we can give our patients as doctors, and it's it can be so impactful to their care overall when it goes right. And it, when it's neglected or maybe it's less than ideal, it can just make a very make for a very uh, traumatic experience or difficult experience for them. So I think that's a, a wonderful mission to have. And it's really neat how ultrasound has paved the way to make that easier for us to accomplish. And there's something paradoxical about what you said in that the places where I think nerve blocks are probably being taught the most and performed the most are probably the bigger academic centers, I'm guessing. Whereas maybe where they need that care more are the smaller places where they don't have other options. Right. And I think we all understand that certainly, there, especially with elderly patients, there's a reticence of using analgesia in the first place, right? There's complications from that. And, and one of the wonderful things about ultrasound, ultrasound has really opened the doors for us to be able to diagnose a lot of information quickly, transform people's lives. But in terms of what we do in terms of medical outcomes, unfortunately, people come in with stuff which I can diagnose, hopefully that's something that's curable or not. And one of the few things that I felt like I can do ethically and with, with job satisfaction was be able to address pain. And at least I can't fix your broken bone. I can reset it. I can transfer you to somebody who's going to do definitive care. But in the meantime, I can alleviate some of the trauma and the physical trauma and the emotional trauma of that event. So that's something that ultrasound has been absolutely revolutionary. I mean, I, you know, again, I started way back when in the 90s when we were doing blind anesthesia or trying to use nerve stimulators and all of a sudden to be able to see what I was doing and be effective. Like, what a win. That's amazing, right? I think you've spawned a, a new idea called emotionally informed ultrasound care. And I, I can see this really going places, Peter. That's, uh, we have to do a different acronym because I think that comes out the EIUK. All right. Well, thanks so much for stopping by. It was great to talk yeah, to you. Thanks. So, Giuliano, it's wonderful to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've been up to, where you're practicing, what you're doing? Hi, so yeah, thanks for inviting me to be here. Well, I'm at the University of Florida. I've been there. I did residency there. I was the first fellow there in 2012. So I've been there since, you know, trying to work hard and keep the program alive. And we're there having lots of fun in Florida. I came late into medicine because I was a photojournalist. So for me, taking pictures, I guess, of the body was a kind of like a no-brainer. So uh, when I was debating about fellowship, I said, like, well, this is like, you know, let's take some more pictures. So, yeah, it's been really awesome. And, and you're an incredible photographer. We have a good overlap in our interests because you take some phenomenal pictures of birds that I'm a big fan of. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. I mean, we have to go together and take some photos. I know that Dr. Henry Young is now up there in Ohio State, and he's a good friend. We trained together in residency, and he's an amazing photographer, too. I guess you guys should go, and maybe I should join you. Juliana, we've been asking everybody if there's an area that they're most excited about in ultrasound right now. Anything come to mind for you? So I think the cool thing about it is that people are still very passionate about it regardless, and, and the, the education continues, and you continue to disseminate all, all these cool you know, things that we do. Thanks for stopping by, Thank G. Thank you, guys. Good, Good to see you. Bye. Yeah, Dave, for everybody out there who may not know you, can you tell us a little bit about your history, where you train, what you've been up to? Yeah, so as some people know, but most probably don't, I am secretly Canadian and can uh, drift back into that accent if I need to. But I did my undergrad at McMaster University and then medical school at McGill in Montreal before finding my way to Brown for residency, and I did ultrasound fellowship at MGH. After that, I've been at Maine Medical Center since, and I've been here, I guess, for 10 years now. And it's it's a real treat to have everyone come to Portland, which is such a great city, and, and have them here for scuff. So, Dave, you've had this kind of administrative ultrasound position for some time now. I'd love to get, from your vantage, what are things that are new and upcoming in the ultrasound world anything in particular that's been on your mind recently you know the thing that i find is on my mind more than anything else at this point is not so much new things which i realize is a little bit in distinction to what you're highlighting on the podcast a lot of the time 
but rather trying to do core things well. And I say this as someone who's like spent years in the early phase of my career looking for new stuff, experimenting with new stuff, seeing where we could go. And I, I have not lost interest in that. But I find in the role that I'm in now, I spend more and more time just thinking about how do I get the average clinician, the average user to use ultrasound in a way that both is a help to them and help to patients. And in some ways, I, I think that's sometimes the hardest thing of all. And it's, you know, it's an ongoing task. We've had a couple talks at Scuff that kind of address this. And, and it's something that I think all of us deal with. Uh, and I'm just at a, a stage of my career where this is the thing that I, I think I spend more time thinking about than anything else. Yeah, that's a tremendous point because it's so often we are drawn to like what's new or what's happening. But it's obvious if you think about it that the largest impact on patient care and anything that we do is really going to be doing the core scans really well, teaching people how to do ultrasound-guided procedures that maybe they don't have that implemented at their shops. So that's a, I think that's a really good point that we don't talk about too much, but how do you do that well? How do you convince people to get the training that would benefit everybody? And, and just to keep up with it, you know, it, this is like, this is a field of inquiry, you know, and potential scholarship that, that's relevant to all of us. I have not lost my interest in hearing about new things because it's exciting and fun. But increasingly, I just kind of think like, what is the best way to make people do or not to make anyone do anything, but to help people see and help them have the skills to understand that in the sort of situations that we're in, just even the bread and butter stuff is you were going to get the, the most return on biggest bang for our buck with them exactly yeah well let me know what you find out because i i would uh i would like to know <laughs> i think i think if we're being honest it's a question we all like are struggling with sometimes when you look at a partner a resident you're like and tell me why didn't you use the evidence-based scan <laughs> setting like what was what was your thought process that led up to that? thanks so much for being here guys and for those of you who didn't make it to scuff 23 we'll hope to see you next year Hey, so our next guest is Casey. Casey, is it Wilson? So I knew Casey before it was Wilson, so I sometimes forget. Casey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you right now? What's your role? Yeah, yeah. So I am the Ultrasound Fellowship Director at Grand Strand Medical Center in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So I've been there about five years and having a great time at Scuff so far. Well, it's great to see you, as always. We run into each other at every conference. <laughs> Casey and I are conference buddies. Yeah. Yeah, well, we went to medical school together, and we had a mutual friend, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how we got connected initially, like 10-plus years ago. Oh, wow. That makes me feel old when you say that. Yeah, we go way back. Again, making me feel really old when we went through the history of POCUS course, and they flashed up the years, and I saw, like, 1987 on the screen, and I was thinking, oh, man. <laughs> Some of us are born in these years, and here we are. So the evolution's been really cool, and it's been cool to see you guys and the transitions over time. So thanks for having me. So, Casey, is there anything in ultrasound right now that you are really excited about teaching your new fellows, new residents? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the highlight for me, I came a day early to do the resuscitative TEE course with Maria O'Rourke, and it was phenomenal. Just getting the hands-on time, and it's been sort of like a two-year work in progress for us at our program. So we you know, have acquired the simulator, we have probes, we have all the pieces in place, and next month we'll be kind of going to credentialing. So it's just been really great to kind of see that process over time, and that's what I'm stoked to go back and meet with the med exec committee on. So That is exciting, and some other people have brought up that too. I think it's just such a great area where we can feel like we're making an impact in cardiac arrest patients, and it seems like the first big jump in in ultrasound in that area for a while, so pretty exciting. Yeah, it's one of those things where there's such a technical clinical component of it, but for me, the administrative component has actually been way more of a challenge to overcome than with anything else I've done with ultrasound, so I'm excited. Do you have any pointers for that process for other people that may be going through it? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, a lot of it comes down to funding. And so getting 
other departments on board. I found collaborating really early with anesthesia, working together, we actually went to our C-suite with a proposal, and I think it helped to have a lot of friends on the team and to make a conjoined effort and kind of a vision that this is going to be something that can be done in the ED, the OR, the ICU, and I think it was easier for hospital leadership to get on board. Yeah, it's nice if you can convince other people to work towards the same end of patient care, and you can convince them, show them some of the data, and then you're all on the same page when you talk about the money issues. Yeah, 100%. And maybe I'll take back some lobster rolls with me too. That might help too. (laughs) Thank you guys. Yeah, thanks so much. Okay, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. Hello, I'm Lauren McCafferty. I'm one of the assistant residency program directors at University Hospitals in Cleveland and the ultrasound education director for the department. Wow. It's great to see you again. It's been a while. What have you been up to in your roles over there? Staying busy and, you know, the academic year being well underway now, you know, getting a new group of fellows and residents in and, you know, kind of getting them off the ground. Is there anything that you're really passionate about right now in terms of ultrasound? Anything that you've really kind of sunk your teeth into? I mean, I think education just in general, that's kind of what I spend most of my time doing, getting, uh, you know, I love getting residents involved and we have a large group of interns who have never had any ultrasound experience before and really getting to getting them to see the utility of ultrasound as they use it and apply it clinically is really rewarding. Have you found in your years that more and more residents come in intern year knowing a little ultrasound or still it's still pretty blank slate? It's still very, it seems like far end of the extremes. I feel like it's more, you know, you have several residents that come in having, you know, they're very proficient. They've learned a lot of the basics and a lot of the advanced modalities. And then you have people that have never really touched a probe before. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Those are great insights. And I think a lot of people also have that same focus on education. And it's it's really neat because ultrasound relative to a lot of areas of medicine is still kind of early on in its process. We're still kind of feeling out the best ways to teach these things, I think. And there's been lots of helpful guidelines from ASAP and other people about how to do that. But I think it's still something that we're all developing as we go. And with the development of the technology, it also has been changing too. Like how do you incorporate AI into your educational strategies and how do you incorporate handhelds or other things? So it's a it's a rich topic. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your name, where you work, a little bit about your history, how you got into ultrasound? Okay. My name is Mei Chen. I am a neonatologist who is interested in POCUS. I come from Johns Hopkins, where I have lots of great POCUS collaborators on the adult EM side and the PEM side, so it's been really helpful, and they told me I should come to this conference. It was great learning, and so that's why I'm here. Well, that's great. I don't think you, you may be the first neonatologist here, and I, I, I'm not sure if I can confirm that, but... Welcome. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it was. I put out a new Twitter call. I said, "Is there any new neonatologists here at Scuff?" And so far, no takers. Hmm. We'll find somebody for you. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, can you kind of give us all a feel for how ultrasound is being used in neonatology now, currently, and maybe what it, what's developing? Yeah, so I will say that the neonatology field is a little bit farther behind from the adult EM folks. The adult EM folks really are leading the, you know, led the charge with POCUS, but there's a lot of interest in neonatology to do POCUS now. So we have a couple of big name folks from CHOP and San Diego and CHLA and, and Shazia and Emery. So lots of, a lot of great like neonatal POCUS expertise, but across the field, there's so little POCUS ex- expertise around, but everyone wants to do it. So now we have this huge need, but we don't quite have the expertise yet. So that's what we're trying to build. We do a lot of lines, so umbilical lines, not quite something you do in the adult EM world, but umbilical lines, looking for those positioning, placing them. We do lung ultrasound. We have some good use for abdominal ultrasound, some thought of using it for like necrotizing enterocolitis, head ultrasound for the neonates that kind of gets into the radiology field. So it's kind of like a fine balance. And then the cardiac, you know, cardiac POCUS, which is still something that we're kind of talking with cardiology folks about, so kind of navigating that line as well. Yeah, and you were talking about kind of like trans-fontanel, like ultrasounds. What are you looking for? From a point-of-care ultrasound standpoint, we can see like big bleeds, so our preterm neonates are at higher risk for having like 
big intraventricular hemorrhage, and that can help kind of guide decision making sometimes. Like if the baby's really doing poorly, and we put a probe on the head, and there's this giant bleed, then that might change how we counsel families and how we talk to them. So, a really important use there, I think. Well, that's fascinating, and I'm so glad that you're here. Hopefully, we'll be able to connect you to some other people, and it's really nice hearing about how you're advancing the field. Keep up the good work. Well, we have another esteemed guest with us today. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your history with Scuff? Sure, Ramal Gasparri. I'm at UMass. I have been involved for a very long time. Started out as EUS Fellowships. I was the president, and they kept voting me back in, so I created Scuff, put it in the bylaws. You can only do two terms, and did my two terms, and now they can't have me back. So, I now serve as the founding director for Scuff. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for founding it. I've it, always enjoyed it as one of my favorite conferences every year. Yes, that's wonderful. It's been really cool to see Scuff and this conference in particular really flourish over these past couple of years. It's a really great group that we have here. So, Romulo, what we've been asking people is, what comes to mind when we ask you, what are you excited about with ultrasound right now? And we've gotten answers all over from clinical, cutting edge, going back to the basics, new technologies, educational, administration. What for you is, is the next thing for ultrasound that you're excited about? It's hard because everyone comes at it looking at, like, we say ultrasound, that one word, and 20 people have a different thought in their head. So I focus on my research, so I see it kind of through the pieces that are building something new or different. So for me, the excitement is my research, but then the next ultrasound that's going to change our practice. Every couple of years, there's a new ultrasound technique that we do. I started out, there were six. That was it, six protocols, and we keep adding. Long ultrasound was the last big one, and who knows where the next one is. So that next one, that what's next is interesting to me. And the research I'm doing is on a particular area, but that to me is exciting because I'm in the weeds with that. Can we hear about that or is this a secret? Is this going to be unveiled in a landmark paper? So it's not a secret, but the, the, we have two projects, one that just finished and one that will finish for SAM this year. Presented SAM this year was our work on spontaneous echocontrast in cardiac arrest and the association with mortality. And that has a tremendous future if it actually works because it is fundamentally looking at the data we already see. So we were looking at grayscale measurements of spontaneous echocontrast and how reliable that is for predicting survival. And grayscale is what B-mode is. It's just converting the grayscale into pixels. If you deconstruct that and get particular measurements, which we did through research, but you could do it through a machine, you might have something that would actually predict survival independent of all other factors. So that's one that we just published. And then the one that Reason is doing now is looking at the synchrony or dyssynchrony between the electric rhythm and the sonographic rhythm. And what does that mean for survival and prevalence of that incident? So that's what we're focusing on. Wow, those are two fantastic topics. And I know you and your group have a history of so many incredible papers that you've done, landmark papers, and you seem to have a very high methodological rigor that you hold these studies to, which has not always been the case for point-of-care ultrasound research in the past. Can you speak a little bit about kind of your research approach and how you come up with ideas for these projects time and time again? I wish there were some of the people that were at the original conversation with what do we do as a group. And this started probably two, God, it would have been 2010. It'd be my guess. The first conversation, if we were to choose one large, big study, what do we choose? And people were throwing out all of these various ideas. And I, having done research, my approach is like, you have to care about it. And this is funny because this is the topic we're going to do a talk on research pearls. And this is exactly the, the, what we're going to talk about in about an hour. You have to care about it. It has to be passionate. But someone else has to care about it. That has to be as large as you can reach. But then it has to be feasible. That feasible thing is hard because if you don't do research, you really don't know what's feasible. But those are the components. And we talked about cardiac ultrasound. We just talked about if this was the question of if the heart isn't beating, does that mean they're dead? And that was the first. That took three years to do, another two years to publish. That was the first question. So taking a question that people care about 
that you can physically do it, and then bringing people together so that everyone has a chance to kind of learn. But the what you said is absolutely true. It's the methodology that makes the study, not the question. Any thoughts to naming that spontaneous echo contrast, something utilizing the pun, where there's smoke, there's fire? I'll throw this back at you. When we, were, when we look at these echoes, you see things that, like, you're like, what? That's weird. Like, that's there. New things. And I, we have cardiologists involved in the current iteration. And I told them, I'm not going to tell you anything. You tell me if you see anything weird. But one of the things that we see routinely, the spontaneous echo contrast, it turns out, is about a third of the cardiac arrests we see it. And it can be really, really bright or not. And when I say spontaneous echo contrast, I'm bending the definition because we include the continuum of smoke through a fully clotted ventricle, which is not historically how they use it. But when you inject any medication, you get those swirling bubbles. So we were like, how do we describe this? Because you have to describe it when you're talking about spontaneous contract, because everyone says, well, what about this? Like, well, yeah, I know that. So what what would you call that? If that's where there's smoke, there's fire. What's that? Denser smoke. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. The only thing we came up was microcavitations, because that sounds scientific enough that people get what it is. And then the reviewer is not going to be like, what is that? But Yeah, so when you're, you get into an area where things are relatively new, you have to name them. Like it's, you want a name that's intuitive, but it can't be quirky or stupid. So it's, we perseverate a bit on how do you describe this so that people care. Yeah, and that's, that attention to detail, I think, is what makes these papers so citable and people coming back to them because you have, if you look back at all the papers, especially in the cardiac arrest, I noticed that you, really take careful attention to defining these things and spelling it out exactly so we can all be starting from the same place. Are we talking about the same thing? Because that otherwise, it's hard for people to apply the research to their own setting. So I really appreciate that for one. Great talking to you today. Wonderful insights. And thanks again for your work with Scuff. For people that haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, can you tell us a little bit about your long and storied past and how you came to be here today. So I am Christy Moore. I'm a sonographer educator. I'm at University of Pennsylvania now. But I started with Mike and Zach. When were you an intern? 2012. So 11 years, point of care ultrasound education at the GME level, the UME level, and every sort of level in between here. So it's been a fun, amazing, fantastic journey. And I have to say, Christy really, of all the people that I contribute as lighting the fire for ultrasound, she really pushed me a long way because it was pretty much just her in residency that really taught me so much tips and tricks and it was, a, we had a lot of fun back in Hahnemann. I will tell you that you guys were, you know, my first class of residents that I taught. And I got asked a question today about like having a sonographer in your program and what things you should look for. And sonographers learn a little bit differently, obviously, than physicians about certain things. So we don't learn, say, about lung ultrasound in school. Some of us are not cross training cardiac and echo. So I think the thing that I think about the most and I appreciate from you guys the most and everyone else that I've learned from so far is just some patience. Right. So just I don't know some of the terminology you're talking about. Just be a little patient with your educator. Bring them up to speed on what's important to you. You know, let them be the educator that they probably are. You know, play on their their strengths and, you know, kind of just build up their weaknesses a little bit because there is going to be like a big learning gap between sort of what a physician wants to know or a resident versus what, you know, an ultrasound tech news. And one of the best things that I've come across is just dealing with the medical students because their knowledge is not as broad as like you guys as interns or fellows, etc. So it's been, that's one of, one of the things that's kind of, I feel like brought me up to speed with like education for just everybody. Yeah. One of my favorite things was when I was an intern and I would just bring you a paper and be like, I read about this. Can we learn it? And you're like, I have no idea what we're doing, but yeah, let's do it. And we just like piece it together, looking at the literature and trying new scans. And it really... And I feel like that's that was like, for me, it was a whole curiosity level. When Rich Hamilton brought me that paper about the blue protocol, I'm like, you can scan a lung? 
what are you talking about? So even today, when my fellows ask me something, I'm like, I've never done it before, but you know, we're going to go do it. We're going to give it a try. This is what this is here for. We're learning new things. We want to try out new things. And you're, the curiosity that, you know, comes from teaching all of my learners is also keeps me like loving and motivated every day at my job. I said, they're going to have to drag my cold dead body out of there because I'm never, never leaving. <laughs> but Christy, you bring up a lot of good points about sonographers and education because that is not something that we talk a lot about. I feel like you are, I mean, you're unique in a lot of ways, but there's not many places that have a sonographer there teaching ultrasound in a point of care type of way. So what's your experience been like with that? And how do you think that would work in other places? Every time I come to another conference, I meet more and more Christie's. And it's great. I just hooked up with two program directors here that have, you know, I like to say a Christie, but a sonographer on. So I feel like this word is catching on. It's mentioned a lot more than it ever was, you know, for your program. I think, you know, being physicians, you guys are busy all the time and you're trying to teach somebody a pretty high level skill. It's not pick up the probe and walk away. So having one dedicated person for education, collaboration, fixing the ultrasound machine, which, you know, all of these small things takes a lot of burden off of your program directors and your faculty and lets them get back to what they want to do, which is education probably to their, to their learners. So for me, I feel like that's been the experience as far as I'm just kind of everybody's support system, which I love. And I, I would say from my own experience, sonographers get so much more training with image acquisition and knobology that we just don't have enough time devoted to. So I feel like that's a strength that we can collaborate with sonographers on in education because you bring a lot of other things to the, to the game that physicians who have learned ultrasound after their medical training don't necessarily have. And I think, again, if you don't have a good image, it doesn't look pretty, it's not interpretable, you're going to make a bad decision, which is dangerous. So for me, again, when we talk about image acquisition and interpretation, obviously the interpretation side is left up to the, to the expert physician, et cetera. But that acquisition, you can't get there unless you start with that acquisition first. So our fellows get a whole month actually just with me. The whole month of July, we have no other learners. So one of the things I, I talk to them constantly about is check your gain, check your depth, check your focal zone, you know, pick the right poop, pick the right preset. It's a cheat sheet. Just pick the right one. So I think, and I heard actually today somebody talking about just having a sonographer and having that person be that high bar for technical adequacy, which is what everyone sort of needs. Agreed. And yeah, we definitely owe you, owe, owe a lot to you. And I owe a lot to you guys too. So thank you too for always thinking of me, taking care of me, pushing for our sonographers. And I'm really proud of you both. And I, I think it is it is safe to say that whenever we talk about a sonographer educator, we will refer to it as a Christie. Well, welcome to the stage, Dr. Michael Gottlieb. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're just kind of in a relaxed fashion talking to people. We're ha- seeing a lot of friends out here today. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about your history with ultrasound, what you've been doing, what you do currently. Yeah, so I feel like I fell backwards into ultrasound. I knew that I wanted to be an educator. I was committed to being an educator. And as I started to do this, I started to you know, discover the roles that ultrasound has in education. And then I started to get experience with research. I was like, oh, research is super, is super cool. I'm starting to like this piece of it. And as I did, I started doing some research in ultrasound. And that was my first, I think, piece of really getting a sense of how ultrasound starts to expand. I did my first major research study was a cadaver lab study looking at ultrasound for intubation among some residents. And I love that combination of both the research that came out of it, but the way the ultrasound pulls in there and really integrates into something I could practically use on shift. And that was like my gateway into ultrasound. And then so after I did that, you know, I started to pull ultrasound more. And what I really saw out of this is that ultrasound connects things very well in a way that I don't know that a lot of other fellowships can do quite as cleanly. We're involved in administration. We're connected across the institution with almost every specialty. We are connected with an education of our own learners. We're connected in research. We're connected in grant funding. That's why you see people that are leading in like chair positions, C-suite, into program directors, because that skill set we get out of ultrasound that I love. I think it's just a really amazing field that we are lucky to be a part of. And it's really fascinating how people get into it for different reasons. And you can 
do with it whatever your interests are in a way. You can lean more into the administrative side. You can lean more into the education side. It's, it's so malleable. And I think we all understand the benefits of ultrasound clinically. Like we believe in it for patient care, but also for a career, it has so many different options for people. Oh, absolutely. And it, that's where it's interestingly changed over the course of the you know, history of fellowships. I think even when I was a fellow, some of the push was, I want to get better at ultrasound clinically. So people were doing this because they didn't have the training, they didn't have the experience, they wanted to get better. And now what we're seeing out of our fellows is, it's not just to get better at some of the more advanced skill sets, it's that and then to become a leader in research, education, administrative, it's to take on that next step. So it's no longer just how do I get better at ultrasound, it's how do I become a leader in ultrasound. I think that's a really amazing transition of our field. Agreed, agreed. And I do want to just shout out real quickly just a, a connection. So Mike Gottlieb's chair is Ted Corbin. Do you know that? Love uh, that guy. Yeah, he was one of our faculty at Hahnemann. He was a, a mentor towards me. And so, Mike, is there any research that you are getting into ultrasound related that is kind of in the back of your brain? So a lot of what I've been focusing on over the past couple of years is how do we get better at using ultrasound for airway? That's been one of my main research niches. The idea being that, well, we know that cardiac arrest, that the ability to identify the endotracheal tube is very limited. It's about 60%. And so if I'm trying to you know, get better at this, rather than using something indirect, like trying to see the tube pass through the cords in this very limited view amongst chest compressions or trying to listen to a chest wall when it's really noisy and loud and the compressions are ongoing, is why not just visualize it, right? We directly visualize so many other things to say, well, I'm going to try to check indirectly for end tidal CO2, hoping that it, it comes up, assuming that they don't even, they have ROS, because if they don't have ROS, there's not enough CO2 anyways, is why don't I just look for it with ultrasound? So that's been my big push over the past probably, I guess now eight years, is to try to improve this to get better at it and to start imp- incline- improving it in practice. Because it's all great theoretically, and I could talk about strategies to do it, but ultimately, if everyone's reading it and they're not doing it, what's the impact? And the goal here is really, how do we create an impact on this? How do we get people to implement this in practice? And that's my next big push. Yeah, and I love that. The focus on the translational, moving from the evidence into practice, how can we facilitate that? How can smooth that for a variety of different audience members or different clinical practices? That is a big challenge in research. And I think you've done a great job with a lot of the papers that you've developed and the projects that you're associated with, which are a myriad of projects. I I think you do always a nice job of trying to make it practical and patient-centered and trying to get down to what can we change. All right, go ahead. Introduce yourself. Who do we got now? Hello, my name is Mike Jones. I am a current faculty member at VCU in Richmond, Virginia. I just finished my fellowship last year and just was hired on as full-time faculty this year, so really excited to be in this new role. Yeah, it's always, your first job is always memorable, so that's that's awesome. Mike, tell us a little bit, is there an area of research that you're into that you, uh, that you guys are working on down at VCU? Currently, right now, I'm interested in looking at TAPSI in patients with PE that um, activate our PERT alert response team. So, you know, we have data about TAPSI in PE, but most of that data comes from patients who receive inpatient echoes after they're admitted and they're you know, formally performed by echocardiographers. Well, we're really curious about what about at the point of care? What about if we do this TAPSI at the point of care? And you know, how does that translate to um, outcomes and prognostication for our perler patients. So that's one thing that we're working on. But another thing that I'm really interested in is transcranial Doppler and looking at transcranial Doppler in patients who are at risk of increased intracranial pressure, like traumatic brain injured patients or even post-cardiac arrest patients, you know, sepsis encephalopathy patients. So that's another area of interest of mine that I'm hoping to explore more. Well, Mike, I have so many questions. This sounds really fascinating. First, with the TAPSI, it's been shown to be used in two different ways that I think are pretty distinct. One is diagnostically. Can you use TAPSI to diagnose a PE in somebody? And I think the the closest we've come to that is looking at patients with abnormal vital signs. Maybe there it's sensitive enough to be useful. Are you talking about using it in that way? Or you? I think you said prognostically, like we're trying to say, if their TAPSI is really bad, this PE... This patient with a PE has a higher mortality or more likely to need more therapies? Exactly, yeah. So we're looking at patients who have activated our PERT alert response team, which means they already have a PE diagnosed. 
it's been confirmed by CT. In our case, we're looking at measuring TAPSI in those patients to see what happens to them next. Like, at the point of care, can we help our interventional radiologists make a decision about whether they need to be taken to the IR suite, or if, you know, the TAPSI is more normal, can they just be monitored on the floor or something like that? So not so much, actually not at all, in the diagnostic realm, but more so in the prognostic realm and treatment pathway realm. That's really cool because I think it can definitely help with, you know, getting the resources to where they need to be, whether it's get the resource to that patient or we can hold off and save those resources for another patient that may need them at the same time. So I, I love that idea. And with regard to the transcranial Doppler, are you talking about B mode or the traditional transcranial Doppler with like that little pencil probe? Oh, yes. So I'm talking about B mode and putting color over that and then using the pulse wave Doppler where you see the color. Wow. Fascinating. That's another really cool developing area. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us your whole life story. I'm Andrea Dreyfus. I'm currently the Ultrasound Fellowship Director at Hennepin in Minneapolis. I'm not from Minnesota. I'm Peruvian, so not from the north. And then prior to that, I was at Highland. And a lot of, other than doing my role as Ultrasound Fellowship Director at Hennepin, I created this nonprofit called Ondas de Latinoamerica, Ways of Latin America. And we started the first ultrasound fellowship in my home country, Peru. And then six years later, we are now in Costa Rica, Mexico, Ecuador, and soon to be Argentina. That's incredible. Very inspiring work. I, I always love to hear about that. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what you do with that? Yeah, with that program? Sure. So we essentially pick places where there's a residency in EM and there is pathology and almost all of our places I would say will be kind of like county urban programs and then the first time we just got the residents to identify who would be the faculty that already were like essentially like potential wonderful teachers and focus nerds and that's how it started and so we model it very similar to like how we do a fellowship here with the difference that I don't live down there. And so we, when we started this six years ago, was the first time that tele-ultrasound was an option. So we used Lumify with Reacts. Since then, we've like, now we're not just dedicated to one machine. We've used Butterfly and whatnot. We use Sonoclipture for all of our QA. Mostly because our fellows, so like, so now we're halfway through our fellowship, 12 fellows currently this year in four countries. We keep them to the standard of at least 1,000 scans. All of them have at least 3,000. And I think it's like if you use ultrasound in a place where x-ray, CT is so much harder to get, they're going to even use it further and they will innovate. And so I think our program is a little bit like giving them the skills and then also getting them the voice to like further educate their communities. And sometimes ours, like some of the pathology they, they see, we don't see here. So we should learn from them. Well, yeah, that I mean, that model makes so much sense where you have to train up the the super users the people that can then train other people that are going to live there and work there that that seems to make perfect sense to me and i think you just told us that you're technically the ultrasound director for 12 different people maybe more plus hennepin is that we're talking about like 14 it's sort of ish however not fully mostly because the people that we graduated from for like years back they keep on, they stay on. And so like when we do our QA journal club and educational sessions every Tuesday is the best experience. Like it's our, we've been using even Zoom was a thing. So we never stopped even during the pandemic. And so like every fellow that we graduated from each site takes ownership of their fellows. So we're only fully feel like fellowship directors to our new sites. And we've now reduced that we will only do one new site slash country per year. So it's truly, I'm QAing all of my Ecuadorian fellows, because that's our new site, plus the Hennepin. And then I also have my partner in crime, David Martin, who's at Highland, who helps out. Like, we, we divide the work. That's incredible. Well, that's really fascinating. And we'll definitely have to put a link to uh, your website in our show notes. But tell us a little bit more. We've been asking people here at SCUF, what's something that you're excited about in the future of point of care ultrasound? We just we just started using contrast ultrasound at Hennepin. So I'm more excited to continue to explore that further. 
kind of been being super into like speckle tracking, but I'm also excited that some of our new machines are able to use AI for that instead of like me connected EKGs and using a giant machine with perfect. So I'm, I'm excited about studying that further, particularly with all the work that I do in Latin America. It's like applications to pathologies that we don't see. So one thing that we just recently got a grant and we're going to look is looking at perhaps risk stratification for dengue, gall bladder wall thickening to see if that's going to help us differentiate if you're going to get more severe dengue from not. Similar if like for fluid resuscitation for dengue, which is, so I think, I think there's so much, there's one on the machine side, which of course is very excited, but some of it is like when you take an ultrasound machine in a place that they haven't had one and perhaps pathologies are just different and resources are different, it's very exciting to like see how much more that can you know, what role that can play. I would like to hear a little bit more about the contrast. Are you talking about using contrast for echoes or in other applications like trauma, fast? Both. We got approved with, with our committee of pharmaceutical and therapeutics to use it for both. And particularly the pediatricians that are more interested in us using it. And the hemodynamically stable kiddo that you are not going to... They would like us to pan scan less of those kiddos. And I think that's a wonderful opportunity for us to like put the contrast and see if that's going to allow us to pick up some stuff that then would eventually lead to a CT or not. Right. So, yeah. the, so the idea would be you have a relatively low-risk trauma where you don't think they need to go straight to CT. You do a contrast-enhanced fast, and that could have the sensitivity for solid organ injury as well as hemoperitoneum enough that you would then maybe say they don't need to get a CT. Maybe you do serial abdominal exams or something else after that. Is that the... That's awesome. Yeah. And I think for the advanced cardiac, which hadn't been loves doing too, it's like to get those beautiful views that right. the Ecotech is coming and doing. So yes. more to come. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Great talking to you. All right. Well, I think we'll cut it off there for part one. This has been the Scuff Podcast 2023. And thank you so much for all of those guests who lent their voices. I think there was a lot of incredible pointers and great discussion. So we'll look forward to part two, which should be out soon. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. More. 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 More.